The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Live from our nation's capital. How do we reopen this economy? The latest on how this pandemic is impacting farmers. What does this do for the United States' relationship with China? Bloomberg Sound On. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. We're responding to this crisis and manufacturers are stepping up like never before. We're looking at 70 candidates for different vaccines. How do we make sure a pandemic of this scale never happens again? This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin. Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. President Trump looks to reset his campaign. Plus, U.S. cases rise 1.8%, matching past week's average is good news on the horizon as Florida COVID-19 positivity soars, hurting Governor DeSantis's case. We'll give you the latest and my exclusive interview with Dr. Deborah Burks of the administration. You don't want to miss that. Plus, we'll check in with Mark Short from the Vice President Mike Pence office as well. Lots to get through. And we've had a busy, busy, busy day here on the Bloomberg Radio Sound On team. Barada, Shirley, McDevitt, we're all working hard. We did, uh, we did like nine interviews in two hours with administration officials. And we're going to roll them out uh, over the course of the week. Some big names, folks. You know, we got two ca- like two cabinet secretaries, Javita Carranza uh, of the Small Business Administration. You know, exclusive. So we're gonna we're gonna roll them out for you. And I want to begin tonight with someone who has been at the eye of the storm for decades, dating back to the HIV/AIDS pandemic. You know, here's someone who has served in Republican and Democratic administrations. Her name is Dr. Deborah Burks. Get this, actually, she grew up in Delaware County, Pennsylvania, Delco, where I grew up. And I want to begin tonight with her interview because we've seen the uptick in cases. And one of the things that the administration is trying to do is work with Congress about how to reopen the schools. So we touched on a lot of these different themes. And let's just roll the tape. Here's Dr. Deborah Burks. Here she is. Uh, Dr. Burks, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, I want to ask you, there's been this uptick in cases. And what is the administration doing in order to get these cases back down? Yeah, thank you. That's a really terrific question because the current uptick in cases that now extends really from Washington State through Oregon into California, across um, Arizona, New Mexico, and then, of course, Mississippi, Alabama, Florida, Texas, um, is really a very critical outbreak that needs to be contained. And I think collectively, I was just out on, in the field going to um, Texas, Arizona, New Mexico, and Florida, and really getting it on the ground, report and experience to understand how we can be even more supportive. I think we're supporting their testing and we're supporting increased human capacity at their hospitals. But I want to really applaud the governors who've taken decisive action to really mandate masks, increase social distancing, close bars, ensure that 
Um, if you can't social distance in an indoor restaurant, really decreasing that capacity of indoor restaurants, moving dining outside, and really talking to the people in their metro areas and their counties of what each individual needs to do. We all need to do all of these things. We also have to make sure that we're not bringing that virus into our households by having parties then inside the houses. So I think there's a lot we can do as individual Americans, but there's a lot we can do at the state and local and federal level to support that response and change the course of this, really this pandemic across the South, but also now up the West Coast. And Dr. Burks, I mean, some of the numbers, it's astounding to see how young people Young people are, are really seeing a lot of the uptick in cases and they're making some poor decisions. They're going to bars. They're going to, you know, we all see the images on the news. How do we prevent young people from getting these infections? I think there's two pieces of that. One is to be very honest with them and to tell them that there's a spectrum of disease in young people. That's Truly, they will know people who are test positive that have no symptoms. They will know people with mild like only a sore throat and a runny nose. They will know people who got a bad fever and were sick for two weeks. And they need to know that there's also young Americans who are in the hospitals right now suffering from very severe disease. And so there is a spectrum. I think when they saw that a lot of their friends had mild disease and then they saw in social media that people were having a great time together, you know, they wanted to have a great time together, too. And it's now on all of us to really change those messages, to really resonate with our millennials and Gen Zs so that they understand the risk those decisions make, not only to them potentially getting infected, but their parents getting infected and, and critically their, their grandparents who may be in their 80s getting infected, all of which we know have a very severe course. And so I think translating that message into something that people not only hear but act on is really critical. Sometimes in public health, we just keep saying the same thing over and over again and think that, you know, eventually it will resonate. No, people turn off. So we really have to make messages much more tailored to very specific age groups so that they not only can hear the message, but internalize it and then change their behavior to really protect themselves, their their friends who may have pre-existing conditions, and protecting others by really being in masks all the time. We can get through this um, until we have a vaccine if we all do our part. Dr. Burks, you've been so generous with your time, and I want to talk about another portion of this that, quite frankly, I don't think economists are talking enough about, and that is from an economic perspective. A lot of parents have children who are potentially going back to school in the fall or they're unsure if kids are going to be going back to school, Dr. Burks, in the fall. So, number one, how should schools be preparing for the potential reopening of schools? And secondly, uh, just as important, what is the government doing in order to make sure that the classrooms are safe and clean and healthy for these kids? Well, I think you've raised a critical point. There is health and there's COVID and there's actually health of our children and then there's the economic um, part. So there's really three parts. And I think if we put the child at the center and say, what is best for the American child? What experiences do they need? 
And when we come to the conclusion that they need to be in school, then we need to really figure out how to make that a safe environment. I know many jurisdictions have worked on this. I think we also have to make sure that we have a way for teachers and administrators to be safe. And we need to have a way that households can be safe um, if they're multi-generational households, because we know children will come infected, just like we have 18-year-olds and 22-year-olds infected, and may not show symptoms. And so these are we have to bring in testing into the schools as well as you described creating a healthy environment and really working together at the state and local level and the federal level to learn from each other of how we with putting the child at the center and meeting their needs were able to create that safe environment for both the families the teachers and the children it really is just so many different questions and that's and that's where it comes from from the elementary, you know, K through 12 perspective. And, you know, I come from a family of teachers, but then there's the higher ed perspective, Dr. Yeah. Burks, colleges and universities, and you've got kids going out of state, in state. I mean, what, what should higher education uh, institutions be doing? Well, in a way, I think it's a little bit easier for higher educational institutions and, and the older children in K through 12, because on the, on the White House website about four weeks ago, we really put up a document of how you can do routine surveillance testing by pooling samples. So let's say you have a dormitory of 300 people. They could be tested weekly with 30 tests. Um, and that is easy to do. And within each of these universities, they have a depth of testing capacity that has not been utilized. And so we've been talking to university presidents and, and deans about how to turn on their research testing capacity to routinely screen their um, student body. And I think that is very possible. And then how we take that into K through 12 that need it. When you see virus circulating in the community, how you get in there and do what we call surveillance testing in schools. And that can be done classroom by classroom. There's a lot of advice about how to keep students in um, specific cohorted classrooms. And so if there's only infection in that particular cohort. They may have to quarantine for two weeks, but the rest of the school can continue to go. We know how to do this. We have the science and we have the technology. We need the will to bring this type of innovative testing to our K through 12s and to our universities and colleges. Dr. Deborah Burks is on the line. And of course, she is one of the top diplomats in America physicians who is really driving uh, behind the scenes as well as sometimes publicly uh, the the White House coronavirus response. And, and you have deep experience with this because of your experience and how the United States handled HIV and AIDS. When we do get a vaccine, you know, when, not if, when, how is the administration preparing so that everyone can get one and that there's no socioeconomic questions that come into account, but that every, that it's equal distribution. How are we preparing for the vaccine? I think the evidence of what this administration has done for making testing free, for making care when it wasn't affordable or people didn't have insurance um, free um, so that everybody can get what they need to protect themselves about the virus, I'm sure similar will happen with vaccination. Just a couple comments on vaccination. So there are vaccines that will do what we call sterilizing immunity. It prevents you from getting infected. That's a more rare vaccine. Most vaccines prevent you from getting disease. And what do I mean by that? You could get a low-grade infection, asymptomatic, last 36 to 48 hours, you clear the virus, 
you're fine. And so many of these vaccines may work in that way. And so then we have to really make sure that with the first available vaccines that we're immunizing the cohort and the cohorts most susceptible to severe disease. And we know who those are. We know particularly long-term care facilities, nursing homes, people in closed settings like prisons. Of course, it would all be voluntary, but we want to make sure a vaccine go to the most needed. CDC is working on a generalized distribution plan that gets it because they're used to doing it for flu, to get it to all across America. But I think Americans would understand that we need to prioritize the groups that could have the most severe illness for First, and then work our way through the rest of the United States to make sure that everyone has access. That was Dr. Deborah Burks of the administration. And of course, she has been on the coronavirus task force and really a leading voice on all of these issues across Republican and Democratic administrations, uh, ever dating back as far back as uh, the HIV AIDS crisis. And so you know, we were very grateful to have her uh, time earlier today. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. And over the course of the the next week, we're going to be rolling out some of these interviews that we did uh, with top administration officials, including Javita Carranza, as well as Secretary of Energy Brulette, uh, Secretary of Health Azar, um, and and some other uh, folks as well. I, I want to pivot now to the economic stimulus because Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has said that he actually wants to get a deal before the August recess. Did you see that? He wants to get a deal before the August recess. And President Trump has signaled that he's on board with this. So I put all of these questions, you know, what does it mean for the economy? Is this something that really is going to happen? I put these questions to someone who has been really in on the negotiations, and that's Vice President Mike Pence's chief of staff, Mark Short. So I want to play for you now this interview that I did with Mark Short, who we've had on before, but, but now staring down the brink of another set of negotiations, contentious negotiations between Republicans and Democrats as we head in to the next round of economic stimulus. Let's roll the tape. Here's Mark Short. All right, so here we are, Mark. We're dealing with an uptick in cases, and there's a lot of questions about how to best control this. Top economic officials have said, uh, as part of the administration, that closing down the economy again is just not on the table. So how do we get this virus under control? Well, closing down the economy is certainly not uh, an option that's on the table. When the United States asked uh, Americans to uh, sacrifice for 45 days to slow the spread, uh, people made enormous sacrifices. It gave us the time and preparation to build supplies from across the globe to make sure that our hospitals were better prepared and to develop better therapeutics. And today, at this point, um, doctors know far better how to treat patients. And what we're seeing in many cases is an ability to to better protect those that are most vulnerable, whether it's those who have comorbidities or, or those that are elderly in age. And so what we're seeing now is a, is, a, is a rise in cases among younger populations, 25 to 44 years old. In some cases, um, as our health experts will tell you from decisions that they've made that are unwise about not taking the virus seriously, but in other cases, it's, it's basically people getting back to work. And in some cases, employers mandating that all employees get tested and you're finding people 
people who are asymptomatic, which is good to find so you can isolate them. But, uh, but we are better able to treat patients. There's better uh, capacity within our hospitals in these areas now. And, uh, and going back to, uh, to shutdown is not an option. We can do both. We can make sure that America stays open and stays healthy. And I think that one of the things we've learned through this, Kevin, is there's also an enormous health consequence to shutting down the economy, whether or not that's a financial pain or whether or not that's a psychological pain for many people. Mark, you know, we're heading into phase four talks later this month. What are some of the priorities for phase four? Well, I think what you're seeing, Kevin, is that uh, over the last uh, couple months, uh, seven and a half million jobs that have returned. Uh, at the at the nadir of this uh, epidemic, we lost a little over 20 million jobs. So, a third of the way back, and that means we have a, we still have a significant way to go. But we're but the the strength of the last two months certainly surpassed expectations, and we believe that you're going to continue to see that momentum in the next month as well. I think we want to make sure that. Um, that people that are that are still uh, unemployed and hurting are protected, but at the same time, um, we want to we want to take into consideration the fact that the economy is bouncing back. And once you try to contain the amount of spending, I think that you've seen a price tag of about a trillion dollars or less. There's obviously been a, a lot of stimulus put in the system over the last couple of bills, and so the price tag for us uh, would be that. And I think one of the priorities for us is liability protection. Yeah. Uh, we think that's essential for employers to bring people back to work. And just quickly, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell says another round of stimulus ahead of August. Is that the timetable that the White House is working on? It is the timetable. The August recess for Congress should be the first week in August. And so yeah. by that timetable, so we want to have a bill on the president's desk. You know, something that is just as important to the economy and, and for folks getting back to work is if their kids can go to school. And this is something that I don't think economists have talked a lot about publicly, but increasingly they are doing so. Where does school and getting kids back to school in the fall, based upon the the data of the virus all over the country, Mark, how does that factor in and what is the administration doing in order to work with schools across the country? Kevin, it's a great question. You're exactly right. I think there's not been enough attention paid to that to this point. Today, the White House is devoting almost an entire day to exactly that question. The vice president will be leading a call with all the nation's governors this morning to talk about the importance of making sure schools are reopened in the fall. Additionally, there'll be a summit here at the White House uh, throughout the afternoon that'll uh, culminate with the president and vice president giving remarks. But recently, the American Academy of Pediatrics came out with a study that said it's essential that children need to get back in the classroom because developmentally they'll fall behind. But as you mentioned, it's also critically important that if parents, if kids are not able to go to school and parents are home with their kids, they're not able to get back to work. And that's that's a big uh, challenge for our economy, too. And so what we found is all the evidence says that, that actually the coronavirus is less of a health risk to people under 25 years old than the average flu is. Conversely, it is a greater risk to people at older populations. But for children, it is a very, very low risk, and it's something that we should be making sure that our children are back in school across the country this fall. All right, final question for you, because you mentioned therapeutics, and I, I want to ask you about hydroxychloroquine, because there seems to be this this new uh, interest from, from President Trump about hydroxychloroquine uh, and, and FDA. Talk to me about how the FDA is streamlining regulations or really cutting through regulations in order to get some of these therapeutics uh, more quickly, uh, and, and what the administration's doing on the therapeutic front. 
Well, uh, Dr. Hahn has done a phenomenal job as head of the FDA in helping to streamline and cut through some of the red tape. And there are right now um, more than 140 products in the pipeline uh, that we should anticipate many of them getting approved before the end of this year. And you've seen many already actually come online. I think the most promising, candidly, in trials that we've seen is blood plasma. And it's one of the reasons that those who have been infected and recovered from the coronavirus, we really ask them to go donate blood because having that that in the in the supply is really one of the best treatments for for patients that are currently suffering from the pandemic. That was my interview with Mark Short. He is the uh, vice president's chief of staff, Vice President Mike Pence, chief of staff. And uh, like I said, throughout the week, we're going to have more interviews. My interviews with Javita Carranza of the Small Business Administration, Secretary of Health. Azar, Secretary of Energy, Brulette. You know, we got those big energy court cases sending shockwaves uh, through the energy market. So we'll talk, we'll talk about that. So, you know, it's policy, folks. It's policy. And I just received word from uh, Matt Shirley uh, on the Bloomberg Radio Sound On team that we're going to hear from Senator Chris Van Hollen, Democrat from Maryland, uh, tomorrow as well. So you'll hear from both sides. And coming up on the program, we dive head first. Head first into 2020 with our with our all-star political panel. And Greta Van Susteren interviewed President Trump today. Wait to hear what Greta asked President Trump about TikTok. TikTok. Whether TikTok should be banned. I'll, I'll talk about that. Um, and just to dive into the Bloomberg Terminal for a second. U.S. stocks halted a five-day rally and the Nasdaq backed off another intraday high on renewed concerns over the epidemic's economic impact. Airline and hotel shares got hammered. Treasuries rose, taking 10-year yields down more than three. BPS under 0.65%. The dollar mostly strengthened against its G10 counterparts, though the pound outperformed. Oil dipped and gold advanced. uh, And that's where we stand that's where we stand. And President Bolsonaro, did, this is really on my radar. It's kind of, you know, all over the map a little bit. But President Bolsonaro of Brazil, he tested positive for COVID-19, but he says he's perfectly well. Wow. Wow, folks. Uh, more next. Keep it locked right here. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. And you're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg TV and Bloomberg Radio. And again, folks, we're going to be rolling out my interviews with all the uh, administration officials scattered throughout the week. We're going to have Secretary Azar, Secretary Brulette, Small Business Administrations, Javita Carranza. Uh, talking all things policy and politics. And I just got an email from uh, my friend Tammy. It's the transcript of my other friend, Greta Van Susteren's uh, uh, interview that she did today with President Trump. 
and the transcript is quite remarkable and they they covered a lot of different topics we're trying to get Greta on tomorrow if she's got the time for it but um uh they were asked about TikTok did you hear about this app all the kids are using the youths they're using this app called TikTok where I guess they like dance I don't really understand it you know it pops up in my Instagram feed with like I don't I I truthfully I don't understand it but TikTok apparently is owned by the Chinese and they banned it in India. Prime Minister Modi, he said, not going to happen here. No way. No more TikTok. He doesn't care. And um, Greta asked President Trump about TikTok. And this is what he said. He said, um, it's something, it, 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 Greta asked, Secretary Pompeo was talking about possibly banning TikTok in this country. President Trump said, it's something that we are looking at, Yes. And then Greta followed up, why would you ban it? And President Trump said, quote, well, it's a big business. Look, what happened with China with this virus, what they've done to this country and to the entire world is disgraceful. And we are looking at numerous different things. TikTok is one of them, one of many. Fascinating, folks. Really, really fascinating dynamic. And I want to begin our conversation with our all-star political panel about the U.S.-China dynamic and especially how the Biden campaign and the Trump re-election campaign are going to handle this uh, because, you know, it is really on the minds of many different Americans. I want to welcome back to the show Al Mater. He is a Democratic strategist and partner at Brownstein, Hyatt, Farber, and Shrek. And first time on the program, Bill McGinley. He is a principal at the Vogel Group and he's the former White House cabinet secretary and former deputy counsel at the RNC. Bill, welcome. Nice to chat with you. Great. Thanks for having me on. All right. So what do you think of this? They're going to ban TikTok. What does it say about the larger issue of they could? I, don't, I want to correct myself immediately. He is considering banning TikTok. But what does it say about the larger issue between the U.S. and China relationship? I think that the United States has finally taken a hard look at some of the tech platforms that China has been pushing into the United States. And I think that any time that these technologies are going to be used by Americans, there needs to be a national security review. I mean, let's not forget the forced technology transfers that China imposes on American companies um, when they try to do business um, in their country. Um, I think it's appropriate to take the review, and I think that the State Department and the administration will act appropriately. If there is a national security threat, I think that they will ban the technology in the United States. All right. Uh, Al Mater, come in here. How, I mean— I think this is one of the rare areas where Republicans and Democrats agree that they're, that they, America has to take a long, hard look at China. Oh, absolutely. I was going to just say this is one of those areas where we can find some agreement. Um, you know, look, TikTok is primarily used by young people. It's primarily an entertainment medium for them. However, uh, it also may be a mechanism whereby a hostile foreign government is spying on Americans and trying to infiltrate our networks. You saw the administration's policy with respect to Huawei. Um, and I think, you know, looking ahead to the election, you're going to see the president try to villainize China the best he can, which will put Biden in a bit of an uncomfortable position uh, because he doesn't want to be their defender. Um, and, and, and the other big political piece to this is that the president wants China to be to blame for everything bad that's going on right now in our country, our economy, the virus, et cetera. And so that'll be exaggerated, their role in this. Um, but, yes, I think that the government uh, needs to look long and hard at what China's doing because they don't have our interest at heart. They are trying to promote their country's interests, 
to the detriment of the American economy. You know, when I was a kid, it was the Macarena. Remember that? Everybody would do the Macarena. <laughs> I'm telling you guys, if there was video of me doing the Macarena online, I would want that stuff barred. I would want that off. Listen, if you're a kid out there and you've got a TikTok, you're not going to want you dancing to some crazy song out there 20, 30 years from now. It's not going to happen, but what do I know? Anyway, moving on. Uh, Al Mater's on the line, as is, uh, uh, as is Bill McGinley. Uh, our, our Democrat and Republican for the night, respectively. I, I want to pivot to the economic stimulus because we heard a little bit about this in my interview with Mark Short at the top of the show about Leader McConnell and the Senate and uh, working uh, with his caucus and, and seemingly getting the approval, the tacit approval from President Trump about another round of economic stimulus before uh, the August recess. Bill, what specifically do you think is going to be needed to ease some of the concerns amongst Republicans who are a bit apprehensive about spending more money uh, at a time in which there's just so much going on with, with deficits? I think the fault lines are pretty well known. I think that Leader McConnell um, and his Republican colleagues are going to be looking for some sort of liability protection for businesses um, so that as they begin to reopen, um, and as we've seen with the spikes of the infections, that some of these businesses um, that have taken reasonable measures not only to protect their employees but their customers um, are not going to be driven out of business by the trial lawyers in endless lawsuits. Um, I also think that the Democrats are going to look for additional funds for state and local governments, um, and the Republicans are probably going to draw a line on this. They're not going to bail out the states and the, and the municipalities um, that were – uh, fiscally irresponsible prior to the pandemic, but I think in terms of financial relief for some of them to help address the impact of the virus, um, that could be on the table. And finally, I think that um, they're going to need to take a hard look at the data of, uh, of the PPP program and some of the other lending facilities established by the Federal Reserve uh, to see whether or not this is having the intended effect of bolstering the economy. We think that it has stabilized it, but we really need to get the economy up and running again. There's been some good gains. Uh, the administration, uh, working with the Republicans in Congress and Congress, um, have made some gains on the economic front. But we're nowhere where we need to be, and they're going to be taking a hard look at that. You know, and, and, and a lot of Democrats, Al Mater, to, to Bill's point, have raised the concern about that there's not enough transparency as it relates to some of the the loans uh, regarding PPP that have come out and the administration recently putting out uh, several of the transparency uh, in terms of the large loans. But for loans under 150,000, they've raised uh, Democrats have argued that should be made public. Well, you know, on the other side of that, people are saying, well, hey, wait a minute. If you're a small mom and pop shop, you might not want your 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 information out there for anyone to see. So there's this issue of propriety. There's this, this issue of, of privacy, really, in terms of financial disclosures. Uh, so that delicate balance. But but Al, to, when you talk to Democrats up on the Hill, and uh, you know, are they going to block this or in the House? Is Speaker or is Speaker Pelosi recognize that that, that there's got to be another round of stimulus before they head home for recess? No, look, Kevin. The only one who's going to block anything, if anything's blocked, are Republicans. Democrats are full steam ahead on additional stimulus. I would add to what Bill said that um, w with respect to the money for the states, you look at a state like New Jersey, which went through the most horrific spike in cases, then it started getting better. Now they're beginning to think, well, maybe we open too fast. The reason you want to give money to the states is because they can deal with their unique circumstances. So in a state like New Jersey, where they started to open restaurants and doors, and then the governor decided we, that's too quick, we can't do that, well, those restaurant owners need help. 
And so if you give money to the states, they can parcel that out rather than having the Fed or the PPP try to figure out what's going on in 50 states and, and 230 cities. I would also add that Democrats will probably be pushing for additional unemployment insurance, and they'll probably have some specific asks with respect to increasing funding for things like PPE, for contact tracing, um, testing and the like to make sure we can come out of this as we get back into a more robust economic growth pattern. We can come out of it in a healthy fashion rather than just putting people's health to, at the side, um, all for the sake of economic growth. All right. Coming up, we're going to talk more about economic policy. We're also going to get a preview in terms of the conventions and 2020 with our all-star political panel. Al Motter, he's a Democratic strategist and partner at Brownstein, Hyatt, Garber, and Shrek. And Bill McGinley, he is a principal at the Vogel Group. He is former White House cabinet secretary and former deputy counsel at the Republican National Committee as well. He, I also hear through the grapevine he's a big UCLA sports fan. Is that true, Bill? Oh, absolutely. I can't wait for college sports to come back. Are they coming back, the Bill? I mean, at the rate I we're really going, to come back. with Fauci I, I, and everything. I, I, I know. Uh, you know, I think nothing would boost the American spirit more than having some sports back uh, besides golf and NASCAR. So I agree with that. Else. That should be like a nonpartisan statement. All right, coming up, much more of that. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg TV and Radio, and you're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. Greta Van Susteren with the big interview tonight with President Trump. Uh, and she asked him about convention plans. And, you know, look, President Trump was going to have the convention in North Carolina. Then remember that whole debacle with the governor and then the RNC went elsewhere. Uh, and now they're going to have it in Jacksonville, Florida. But hey, folks, the numbers have been spiking in Florida. So Greta asked President Trump, you know, are you going to consider maybe not having as big as a convention? And President Trump said, quote, well, we are always looking at different things. When we signed in Jacksonville, we wanted to be in North Carolina. That almost worked out, but the government didn't want to have people use the arena, essentially. And so I said, too bad for North Carolina. Uh, he goes on to say, look, we are very flexible. We can do a lot of things, but we are very flexible, end quote. Uh, my political panel for tonight, speaking of being flexible and being able to talk about a variety of topics, Al Mater. Al Mater is, of course, a Democratic strategist and partner at Brownstein, Hyatt, Farber, and Shrek. And Bill McGinley, he is principal at The Vogel Group, former White House Cabinet Secretary and former Deputy Counsel at the RNC. Bill, you know, you coming from the RNC, you hear this. Conventions are huge, huge opportunities for the left and the right. This, this pandemic is wreaking havoc on folks' convention plans. Yeah, I think there's no doubt about that. Uh, Joe Biden's already announced that they're going to have vastly... Uh, scaled back convention. I think that the Republicans are still looking at conditions on the ground in Jacksonville. Um, I think that they're going to probably need to make some modifications uh, if the infection rate doesn't ease. And remember, let's let's step back and, and think about what conventions actually are. Um, there's a lot of things that uh, national nominating conventions and national party conventions do uh, besides um, nominating uh, the candidates for president and vice president. They actually conduct the business of the party um, through the delegates. And so both parties 
are making huge uh, adjustments to their plans uh, to make sure not only that they take care of the business, uh, but I think President Trump's going to have a very good event down in Jacksonville. It's going to be a great launch into the fall campaign where he can lay out his vision for the second term uh, and giving everybody a reason um, why they should return him for another four years. Al, so while the situation's very fluid, um, I do think that, that it's going to be a successful event. Al, when are we going to hear from the, the – I ask you this every time. When, when is Biden going to announce the Veep? I would say in three to four weeks. All right. and let me just say this. I think the conventions are going to be a steady contrast in leadership – and opportunism and narcissism. And Vice President Biden is going to demonstrate how to properly conduct a, a, a political exercise during a pandemic in which people's lives are at risk. And the president is going to conduct a super spreader event in which he puts uh, his fans and supporters at risk just to have a made-for-TV event. Okay, and but you know what? I got to not- interrupt. I got to interrupt. I just hope that the Dems don't put up one of those Zoom things. I hope it's a little more TV produced than like those god-awful Zoom videos. Well, I know, videos. I know that, that they're talking to the, to the best and the brightest in the entertainment industry, which, as some of your listeners know, tends to skew Democratic. <laughs> so they have no shortage. Just a little bit. They have no shortage of, uh, yeah, you know, Bill's not hustling for money in Hollywood, but they have no shortage of, um, of, of folks with ideas as to how to make this as, as uh, entertaining as possible, oh, despite right. the limitations. I always think to the uh, Clint Eastwood chair, that was probably, I was like, I was like, I had just moved to Washington. I was at Politico and I'll never forget watching that and being like, what the heck is going on? All right. Let's, that was probably one of the most memorable convention speeches that I've ever seen. Well, I, I wasn't even there, but I still remember it. Remember that the chair. Yeah, anyway, uh, all right, we do this thing I on the. Sh- Kevin, I was on the floor and I had exactly the same. <laughs> well, uh-huh. as soon as I started talking about that, I was like, I wonder if this is a soft, a sore spot for Bill. Kevin, <laughs> rein it in, rein it in. All right, we do this thing on the show called "What's on Your Radar," um, and you tell me one thing that's on your radar. So, Al Mater, what's on your radar? Uh, in October, the Supreme Court is going to hear a case about. Uh, whether or not the Affordable Care Act should go away. Yeah, it's a big one. And it is going to have a reverberating effect on the election. Every national election we've had in the past 10 years has been affected dramatically by people's views on health care. This one's going to be no different in the, in the midst of a pandemic, and I think it's going to dramatically help the Democrats across the board, House, Senate, and President. Okay, I think that is incredibly important, um, especially for individuals, uh, to especially the dynamics of, of, of the race. And it's quite honestly, when I talk to Republicans, it's a debate that they want to have. They feel that the, that the Obamacare debate is something that's going to help them. So it'll be fascinating to see uh, what will happen on that front. And if President Trump releases some type of updated version of, of the Republican alternative. But I agree, that's a, that's a really good one uh, to, to have on people's radar. Uh, Bill, what's on your radar? Uh, the baseball summer camp pauses by teams due to the delays in receiving the testing results. Yeah. I think that a lot of the sports like NHL and NBA are looking at what's happening with baseball. And it's my hope that we can get this corrected so that baseball can begin on July 23rd and 24th and that the NHL and NBA will be able to follow suit. Well, let me follow up on this because it, I'm not even trying to be funny with this, but actually a lot of the ways that the sports leagues are testing and the rapid testing could be potentially a model for businesses and dare I say schools uh, for how to handle some of this. So it, it is really going to be interesting the precedent bill that these sports leagues set. I, I totally a lot of the problems though, the Kevin, on that is you need money. 
and the, the leagues have money, and so they can test their players multiple times a week. But uh, a, biz, a small business or a, a public school system doesn't have that type of money or support, so you're going to need government assistance if you're going to have the same level of, of comprehensive and thorough testing that the professional leagues are going to have. And that's why, for example, in the non-Power 5 conferences, you're seeing schools across New England cancel fall sports because they can't test people as often as they need to. All right, Bill, go ahead. Go ahead. What were you going to say? I was just going to say, and speaking of schools, um, I do think that uh, some of these programs, we're going to have to be looking at this. I know that the president and the administration, and I'm supportive of this as a parent, um, we really want to get schools back to in-classroom learning uh, so that the kids are going to have a better experience than they did this spring. Um, and I think that some of the testing protocols that may happen in these microcosms like baseball and others hopefully will give a path forward so that we can get these students back in the classroom. You know, I think that is uh, very, very, very interesting, and especially just to see uh, how that's all going to go because, you know, again, I think we want to have sports back, but we obviously we want it to be safe, and we want to make sure that people who need the tests and the industries that need the tests are able to, to get them uh, as quickly as, as quickly as possible. Um, uh, the thing that's on my radar today is, uh, you know, we already talked about TikTok. That was going to be it, but I, you know... I'm going to pivot because we have it. But I'm going to go back to this issue that I mentioned yesterday that I just want to double down because I think it, it bears repeating. And that's Fed Chair, former Fed Chair Janet Yellen suggesting that another Dodd-Frank might be needed. Uh, she floated this idea. And, he, you know, our audience knows this. You know this if you listen to this program. If you're a Fed Chair, current or former, you're not just going to float an idea out there. But so for her to come out and say that potentially there might be another Dodd-Frank that's needed as we're just a couple of months away from um, a presidential election is very interesting. And I can tell you that based upon conversations that I've had with some senior staffers at the Biden campaign, uh, former vice president is just around the corner from uh, releasing an economic vision of sorts and we don't know you know it will be carefully dissected and talked about uh, on this program as well as of course on other financial industry outlets but it's also going to be an important test for progressives and centrist democrats to see where that falls so that's very much on my radar is where biden world falls on that where does elizabeth warren world fall on that where does the aoc crowd go bernie the bernie crowd bernie sanders where are they going to go so that's what's on my radar it's still up uh, up in my head. All right. I want to thank Bill McGinley, uh, Bill McGinley of the Vogel Group. I want to thank Al Mater, and I of course want to thank Dr. Deborah Burks and Mark Short for their time as well. Much more coming up all throughout the week. I'm Kevin Cirilli. Thank you for listening. I'm the Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg TV and Radio, and you're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor Q&B. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.